The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. We are in the third week of a series called This Absurd Life, and um, I've personally enjoyed this series, and, and uh, I measure the enjoyment of, my, uh, of the series and the sermons that I preach based on how God has spoken to me in my preparation to deliver that to you, and God has spoken deeply to me through this series, and especially today. This is a sermon that I just didn't write for you and to deliver to you. This is a sermon that God had to speak to me about, and so I I'm enjoying this series, and I hope you're enjoying it as well. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you're new this morning, this series is uh, just a look through the book of Ecclesiastes written by a man named Solomon. And Solomon uh, was the celebrity of all celebrities, the most interesting man in the world. He had wealth, he had power, he had wisdom, he had fame. Um, he had everything. He had charisma. Uh, people had, uh, he had a cult following from people. And Solomon is writing a book to us that I think is extremely applicable and extraordinarily appropriate for um, the church globally. But I don't, I don't know why, I just had this affinity with the book of Ecclesiastes because I think he's got such a great message for those of us who live in this city. And I believe today, Solomon's got a good word for us. Um, Solomon was a man who followed God early in his life. If you've been here the last two weeks, later on, he walks away from God. He's now writing this perspective as a man who has walked away from God. He's pursued everything. He's accomplished everything. He's achieved everything. He's the most interesting man in the world, and now he's going to look back over his shoulder, and he's going to give us a New York Times best-selling book on what he thinks about everything he's done in life. And now listen to me. Make no mistake about it. Solomon was the celebrity of all celebrities. Drake would die to sing Solomon's songs. The Rock could not afford the fine china in Solomon's buffet. Listen, he is the celebrity of all celebrities. I, I, I I believe this, Kanye would stand in line for a meet and greet with Solomon. That's how, that's how important Solomon was in his day. Now, before we get to Ecclesiastes chapter two, let me remind you of a few things. As Solomon is looking back over his shoulder and he's describing all of his experiences in life, he uses one word to describe all of those experiences. It's found in Ecclesiastes one, verse two. If you remember, that word is what? Do you remember? Hevel. That word is hevel. Scholars and commentators translate hevel as meaningless. Um, They translate it as vanity. They translate it as a vapor. One scholar and commentator translated it with the idea of absurdity. In other words, you plow through life. You think there's meaning somewhere. When you finally get there, you realize there was no meaning at all. And you look at it all and you say, that was absurd. Now we have to understand that Solomon's description about all of life. That's important to understanding the book. He's going to refer to it again today. Now there's a second thing that we need to understand before we pursue Ecclesiastes 2 today. And that's the phrase that Solomon uses in Ecclesiastes 1. In fact, he uses it multiple times all throughout the book. He says it again today. And he uses the phrase under the sun. This man has followed God. He's walked away from God. And now he's speaking from the perspective of a man who does not consider God's perspective. And that's how he's speaking about everything he's accomplished. And you need to understand that today. 
before we jump in. So last week he talked about the absurdity of pursuing knowledge and wisdom as a primary um, pursuit in life. Today, I believe he's going to speak deeply to us here in Los Angeles, and he's going to speak to our pursuit of pleasure. He's going to speak to our pursuit of possessions. He's going to speak to a pursuit of power, and um, I think it's going to be good for us today. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is what Solomon says. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. He's talking to himself to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. In other words, the word he uses there is hevel. That also proved to be absurd. Then he says, laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? Important phrase there. Now, verse three, he says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, <clears throat> my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Solomon is like uh, the person who drank too much at the cast party, woke up the next day with a hangover, wondering how am I missing my left shoe and my black leather jacket and how did I get where I am now? And then he reaches over on his nightstand and he finds this journal, this devotion that's detailed everything that happened the night before. And that's the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon has experienced it all. He's kind of woken from his stupor, and now he is saying, how did I get here? And he journals all of it. And so we have this man. We remember where he's come. In verses four through eight, Solomon's gonna list his bucket list of achievements. He's gonna tell us everything he's achieved, everything he's accomplished, everything he's done. In verse four, it says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruits and trees in them. I made reservoirs of water, groves of flourishing trees. Verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and more flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. I became greater, he says. He's speaking of his power. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Now, remember what all Solomon had at his disposal, not just the list of accomplishments here, but we can um, glean from other places in Scripture that Solomon had a house made of gold. He was an avid writer of best-selling books. His kingdom was at peace. Uh, his power was unchallenged. He ate exceptional food. The man had a thousand different sexual options every night. He, he built the most impressive temple the world has ever seen. He also led Israel in a national revival, the most interesting man in the world. And he lists all of his accomplishments in verse 4 through 8. But then in verse 2, before he lists all of those accomplishments, he asks a question. And he says, what did it accomplish? So Solomon's going to talk about pleasure and power and possessions here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And he's going to ask three questions about the accumulation of all of those things. And so when he asks in, in verse 2, the second half of verse 2, what did it all accomplish? In other words, he's sort of asking this question. Why are pleasures and possessions so unfulfilling? Why are pleasures and possessions so unfulfilling? 
It goes on to list all of these bucket lists of achievements. I built this, and I did this, and I grew this, and I had this, and I had all of these things. And yet at the end of the day, he said, what did it all accomplish? In other words, he's like, I got to that place. And when I got to that place, I was left empty-handed. I had everything I wanted. It was all in my hands. And when I finally got there, I looked down, and there was nothing there. And it's as if Solomon is saying, it was all unfulfilling. It sort of sounds like a celebrity confession who's achieved everything and, and who has had everything and has arrived at that place. Reminds me of an article in Elle magazine. I don't read Elle magazine. I don't get a subscription to Elle magazine. But that Drake said in Elle magazine, he said, there was a point where I felt like I needed to ha- keep the company of a different woman every night. I was trying to fill a void. But in those moments after sex, I knew it wasn't working. Those quiet moments are the realest moments a man will ever have in his life. Listen to what he said. And the next day, I'd convince myself to do it again. But during that time, listen to what he said. I knew it wasn't working. Can you imagine to have it all? To have it all and enjoy none of it. To have it all and enjoy none of it. Now listen to me. I I don't want you to confuse the biblical teaching here this morning. I'm not teaching you that possessions and pleasure and power are not that, that are evil things. That is not what scripture says. In and of themselves, they are not evil things. Solomon is speaking to this idea that they are the primary pursuit in life. And when they are, they will leave you at a place where you feel like you are empty handed. So he asked the question, why, why, why are they all so unfulfilling? There was an article in Time Magazine several years ago that, that did a study on, on people who had their basic needs met. And what Time Magazine found was that people that had their basic needs met are generally happier than those people who live just below the poverty line. And so Time Magazine said that after your basic needs are met, you got a small amount of money in savings, you earn approximately $75,000 a year. That number is it's a little bit fluid. Time Magazine says no matter how much more you make than that number, the study found there's no greater degree of happiness. In other words, literally, there is no very little correlation between net worth and happiness. And then we consider that among the rich and among the wealthy. And I've worked in some places where people have have abundance. I worked in Colorado in an area where people had abundance. Every year, teenagers committed suicide. When we combine this idea that having more doesn't um, give us this idea of more happiness... And then we looked at suicide rates and depression rates are higher among the richest. We're inclined to believe this idea that increasing your wealth does not lead to increased happiness. And so Solomon's writings here in Ecclesiastes help us understand, listen to me, that it's good to have money. It's good to have family. It's good to have your needs met. But if they're the primary source of your life, the primary pursuit of your life, you're going to quickly realize how insufficient those things are to bring you fulfillment. Now listen to me. 
Most people don't understand what the editor of Ecclesiastes is going to explain here. And we said in the first week, there's two theories. Solomon wrote the whole thing, or Solomon wrote his perspective under the sun. An editor came behind and added God's perspective into the process. Now, whether it was Solomon or whether the editor, it really doesn't matter. We still get the same perspective. But, but, but most people are not going to understand what, what the editor added to, added to this process and how he's going to explain it. He said, you can have money, and you can have family, and you can have stuff. That's one thing. Then on the other hand, there is the ability to enjoy all those things. And listen to me. The editor is going to say, those are two different things. You can have it all. You can fill the account. You can, you can have all the pleasures. You can achieve everything. You can accomplish everything. And then on the other hand, there is the ability to enjoy it all. And those are two drastically different things. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, the editor explains, here's a tragedy I've observed under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives a man riches, wealth, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself. Now listen to what he says. But God does not allow him to enjoy them. In other words, for a happy life, you, you don't just need money and you don't just need love. You need the ability to enjoy the things that God gives you. Listen, and that's a separate gift of God that you have to seek in a very different way. And we're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. And so Solomon says to himself, why is it that pleasure and possessions are so unfulfilling? And then the second question that he asks himself is that why are pleasures and possessions so short-lived? We come to verse 10, and this is what verse 10 says in Ecclesiastes. It says, and, and all that my eyes desired. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Now pause right there and let's just leave that on the screen for a second. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, we have this idea that every temptation that humanity experiences, and if you've been around, you've heard us talk about this before, is classified typically in one of three areas. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Solomon says, I experienced two of those things as it pertains to possessions and power and pleasure. He said, I denied my eyes nothing. In other words, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, when it says um, the lust of the eyes comes from the world, not from God, the, the author there is assuming that the lust of the eyes has this idea that you see something and you want to have it. Solomon says, I didn't deny my eyes anything they wanted to have. Nothing I wanted to have was off limits. I had everything. Then he said, then he said, I refuse my heart, no pleasure. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes says, I want to have that. The lust of the flesh says, I want to feel that. The heart, according to scripture, gives us this idea. It's the deep-seated place where we experience all pleasure, all emotions. And so Solomon is saying, anything I wanted to have, I had it. Anything I wanted to feel, I also had it. Solomon said, I denied myself none of it. Now listen to what he said. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. In other words, what he's saying is I had everything that I wanted. I felt everything that I wanted. And at the end of the day, that's all I had. And when I was empty and when I was unfulfilled, I had to go back to my labor to achieve more because my eyes always wanted to have more. My heart always wanted to feel more. 
In other words, Solomon's asking himself, why are pleasures and powers and possessions, why are they always so short-lived, momentary? Why are they fleeting? See, the problem is with always wanting to have something and always wanting to feel something, according to Solomon, is that it doesn't last. It's very short-lived. It's momentary. It's like the typical resident in L.A., here today, gone tomorrow. Solomon's not the only one who thinks that riches and power and possessions are short-lived. And if Solomon's not convincing to you, or maybe the Bible's not convincing to you, listen to what the theologian Jay-Z said. He said, there are a lot of people with tons of money who are unhappy because either they become a prisoner of their money or they become so consumed with getting money that they don't allow time for happiness. Those of you who are a little more mature, Betty Davis said, a sure way to lose happiness is to want it at the expense of everything else. Johnny Depp said this. I love it. It's a brilliant statement. Money doesn't buy you happiness, but it buys you a big enough yacht to sail right up to it. <laughs> Let's be honest with what Solomon said here. The second half of verse 10 says, my heart was pleased because of all of my labor, and this was the reward of all of my labor. In other words, material things and power, they cause this momentary taste of delight. And listen, let's, let's just be real this morning. We don't have to over-spiritualize our experience with money and power and possessions and pleasure. For a moment, we can taste the delight from them. On Monday of this week and Sunday, Sunday uh, a week ago and then Monday, I took my family down to Newport Beach. My kids had school off and um, I booked a whale watching cruise. And um, so I got a hotel room, very nice hotel room. And then we woke up the next morning and um, we went down to the dock. And when we got there, they said, sorry, it's been canceled because there's gale uh, force winds or whatever you call it. And so we were like, oh, man, that stinks. I spent all this money on this hotel room. We got to do something. And so, by the way, Newport Beach is one of my favorite places on the planet, specifically in LA. I just love it. If you're looking to send me somewhere on vacation, you can send me to Newport Beach, all right? And so I'm like, we've got to do something. So we, we, we walked up and down the docks, and we found this boat that would take us out into the harbor and just out uh, when you get out of the harbor, and you can see the seals on this, on this thing. And it was really cool. And so as we're driving, as we're sailing through the harbor, the, the guide is pointing out all of the houses in the harbor. And, um, and he's pointing out this person's house and this guy's house. And, and I thought of some of you, actually, because they're things that you enjoy. And, uh, and we got to this one house, and it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. Big yacht outside. And he said, that house belongs <clears throat> to Dean Koontz. You know who that is? You know, you know who that is? Some of you guys. I had to look it up, okay? Dean Koontz is a New York, I, I mean, I'm saying his name right, is a New York Times bestselling author 12 times. 12 times, he sold over 400 million books, all right? Let that sink in. If you've authored a book, then you know what royalty rates typically are. And if you can just do the math on 400, 400 million books times whatever he sells it for, just say $10, he's making a lot of money, all right? Now, I was impressed. I was like, gosh, that is a beautiful, overlooking the harbor, overlooking everybody else's boat in the harbor. He's got his own yacht docked at his, at his dock. And I was like, that is amazing. And then the guide said, but that's not his regular home. 
His regular home, if you look up on the hill up here, his regular home is up here. He bought four lots. He, he built a uh, 30,000 square foot mansion up in Pelican Hills. Dean Coots can literally see his weekend home from where he lives up on the hill. And I was like, wow. I mean, just for a moment. I, I mean, I, I could yak it up with Kobe and the Kardashians and everybody else who lives in Pelican Hill. I could spend my weekends at Newport. Oh, I could do it. <laughs> and it would be amazing for a moment. And then Solomon says, and then it doesn't. And then it won't. Don't confuse what Solomon is saying here. Pleasure, power, possessions in and of themselves are not evil. But Solomon says in the next verse, in verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, listen to what he said, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was hevel, meaningless, Vapor, everything was absurd. Now listen to what he says next. A chasing after the wind. In other words, here today, gone tomorrow. In other words, it blows through and I can feel it and then it's gone and I have no idea where it went. In other words, I had it, but it didn't last. And Solomon is asking himself, he's asking himself, why is it that pleasure and power and possessions are so short-lived? And Solomon sort of makes this statement to himself, and then he makes a statement to us. He says, don't fool yourself. Just enough is never enough. Just enough is never enough. In other words, I thought I would feel complete if I had an excess of pleasure and an excess of power, but I didn't. But listen, most of us are not naive enough to think, okay, I'm going to be Dean Koontz. Like, like most of us live in some sort of reality. Like I'm probably never going to live there, right? And so we don't try to fool ourselves into thinking that's ever going to happen. But what we do try to fool ourselves into thinking is that if I could just make this amount of money, right? If I could just have these few pleasures, if I could just experience these few things, then the happiness that I'm searching for in life will finally be mine. I will own happiness. It will be the theme of my life. And when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you see Solomon saying, money is good. Love and sex are good. Health is good. They are gifts of God to enjoy. But listen to me when they become the primary pursuit in your life, they will never last. You'll find them empty. Ecclesiastes 5, 16 and 17 says, what does the one gain who struggles for the wind? Have you ever tried to capture the wind in your hands? You can't, it's impossible. What is more, he eats in darkness all his days with much sorrow, sickness, and anger. What does it mean he eats in darkness? What it means is you work late and then you come home and you eat alone. And then you die and you can't take any of it with you. And to think, yeah, but they will remember how amazing I was. <laughs> maybe, maybe we will remember this week how amazing Billy Graham was. 
for 99.8% of the rest of us, we will be, as Mark Twain says, the world will lament you for an hour and then they will forget you forever. And then they'll sell your stuff at an estate sale and people will come and pick through it and wonder what you were ever thinking when you wore that or you purchased this. <laughs> this is where I was yesterday. This is where I was. Some of you guys know I love doing this. This is where I was yesterday. This is an estate sale. Look at this. Over an acre full of stuff. There's a second picture. Over an acre, just stuff. I climbed on top of that, by the way. Over, <laughs> just looking for stuff. Over an acre, just stuff. And then you die. And they're like, oh my gosh, we've got to sell all this stuff. Our accomplishments amount to so little. Our impact is so small. Our work is so fragile. And listen to me. To make them an idol, Solomon says. It's, it's absurd. It's absurd. So he says, why are possessions and pleasure and power so unfulfilling. Then he asked himself, why are they so short-lived? And then Solomon asked himself a final question. And Solomon says, why are pleasures and possessions so unpredictable? Why are they just so unpredictable? And to glean what Solomon says about pleasure and possessions here, we have to exit out of Ecclesiastes 2 and go later on in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 9, verse 11 when the author says, again, I saw under the sun. Listen, this is Solomon's perspective. Listen, Los Angeles, listen. I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, the battle to the strong, or bread to the wise, or riches to the discerning, or favor to the skillful. Rather, time and chance happen to all of them. Listen, listen, Solomon has a word for us in Los Angeles. Two people can make the same exact life decisions. Two people can put in the same exact hours. Two people can try to master the same exact field of study. And one becomes a billionaire and one becomes poor. And what's more, listen to me, righteous living Living godly doesn't determine any of it. Listen, listen, listen to what's happening here. I told you that this book would shatter some of our thought processes about God. Listen to what, listen, listen to what Ecclesiastes 7.15 says. In my futile life, I have seen everything. Listen to what he says. There is a righteous man who perishes in spite of his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who lives long in spite of his evil. Just because you have faith in God and you love Jesus doesn't guarantee you success. It doesn't mean that everything's going to work out. I have lived in this city just long enough to have enough conversations, to counsel with enough people, to pray with my, more than a fair share of Angelinos who are living with this reality. Someone else succeeded while it doesn't seem like my day is ever going to come. Solomon says, life is absurd. Some of you understand that perspective. I've put in the hours. I've put in the work. I've put in the study. I've pursued God with my whole heart. 
And you're like, God, I, I chased after you. Why isn't this mine? And Solomon is trying to tell us, you don't use God in that way. Can I just say to you, can I just say to you, just two things, and then I'm going to conclude here. First of all, just because you're a believer in Jesus and you have great faith does not mean that you're going to have great success in everything you pursue. You need to hear that this morning. And you need to hear the Word of God say that to you today. And I want to warn you, I want to encourage you. If you stand under the teaching of Scripture that will tell you if you would just have faith, anything can be at your hands. That is a lie. This book shatters that perspective. The book of Job shatters that perspective. Just because you have great faith doesn't mean that it's all just going to work out. Tim Keller says the basic premise of religion, that if you live a good life, things will go well for you, is wrong. Jesus was the most morally upright person who ever lived. Yet he had a life filled with experience of poverty, rejection, injustice, and even torture. Anyone who sticks to Christianity as long as things go their way is a stranger to the cross. This is the part of shattering that perspective that you may have. God, if I do this A good thing, you're going to do B this blessing thing. Why is that? Why is it? Listen to me. We don't know. We can't explain it. But I can explain this to you this morning. If you make success and power and pleasure and possessions your primary pursuit in life, they're going to fail you at some point. They'll be unfulfilling. They're going to be short-lived. And they're going to be extraordinarily unpredictable. Secondly, and then I'll conclude, someone is always going to have more than you. Someone is always inevitably going to have more than you. If you're wondering where your heart and your soul are with pleasure and possessions this morning, let me just say, there is a pretty good thermostat. There's a pretty good barometer to tell you where your heart and soul is this morning. And that thermostat and that barometer is your response when someone else has what you don't have. Call it what you want, abundance. Has pleasure, power, possessions. The thermostat to your soul and your heart this morning, when you see someone else with those things, is an indication of whether or not your soul is satisfied with Jesus. Now listen to me. But your lack of whatever you're missing, I want you to hear this. But your lack of whatever you believe you're missing is not an indication of Jesus' love to you. So what do you do with Solomon's perspective on pleasure and power and possessions? Do you just sell everything? You don't need, you just give it away? Is, is that how we respond to what Solomon's saying? Do you become an ascetic and avoid all forms of pleasure? Do you never aspire to be great at what you do? Is that how we respond to pleasure and power and possessions? The editor, thankfully, takes us back over the sun. And the editor reminds us that just because I can't see meaning under the sun doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And this is what the editor says in Ecclesiastes 5.18. After looking at the way things are on this earth, 
Here's what I've decided is the best way to live. Take care of yourself, have a good time, and make the most of whatever job you have for as long as God gives you life. And that's about it. That's the human lot. Yes, we should make the most of what God gives, both the bounty and the capacity to enjoy it, accepting what's given and delighting in the work. Listen to what he says. It's God's gift to you. God deals out joy in the present, the now, and it's useless to brood over how long we might live. This idea is repeated more than six times in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a necessity to embrace the randomness and the absurdity in life. And listen to me, and enjoy the moment. You're never going to be able to guarantee absolute success and security and life. Los Angeles, we need to hear this message. You're gonna have to wait for eternity for that. But until then, <laughs> God has created a good life with really good pleasures. I love Newport Beach. It's God's creation. God has created the beauties of nature. I love my wife. I love Sunday nights. I love Mondays. I love romance. God has created it. God has created good food. God has created good drink. So enjoy them when you can. Listen to me. Enjoy them in the present moment. I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to me. No, I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm preaching to me. I had just had this conversation with somebody in our church last week. I know your personality, I told her. I know your personality. Your personality always lives there, never here. I'm preaching to me right now in this moment. Enjoy those good things now. Listen to me, now. Stop thinking about what you've lost in the past. Obsessing about what you're gonna obtain in the future. Listen, some of us are so bothered by the pursuit of something in the future that you just can't, you can't enjoy this moment. Some of you will text me on Mondays and you don't get responses from me. It's not because I don't love you. If it's just about the randomness of church life, if it's an emergency, I will always respond. If you just text me like, what's the schedule next week or, 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 or what's going on here? Like, I don't respond. Why? Because that's the moment. The, the, I, I want to enjoy the last six days of labor and work that I've pursued and my family has experienced the highs and the lows. Today, I'm enjoying this moment with my family. And you need to do the same too. You need to do the same too. So I'm gonna put it on pause on Mondays, and I have been. I'm gonna wear my fedora. I'm gonna enjoy good food and good drink. And I'm going to enjoy the moment. Why? Because the present is the only place you can find joy. The present is the only place you can find joy. Not the past, not the future. So have good friends. Have good food, have good drink. Enjoy what God has given today. I have friends in town from North Carolina, church planner. God's blessing tremendously. He'll be at the second service. When I'm done today, I love you, but I'm gonna be done. I'm gonna take him to lunch. I'm gonna enjoy good friendship. I'm gonna enjoy 
good food because the present is the only joy that's promised. May that be true for you today. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. God, for the word that you've given us in scripture. God, such a challenging book here in Ecclesiastes. God, I pray that there would be no heart, no soul that takes offense to the challenge of scripture today. But God, rather, the spirit of God would find and descend upon a heart that's moldable, malleable, God. And understands that today is the day you've created. Not, tomorrow's not promised. Regardless of what happens tomorrow, even if it goes great, Lord, we can't secure for ourselves security and a great future and happiness and joy because this is the day you've given. So God, give us the freedom to enjoy that this week, to pursue it, to press into it. And God, thank you that you've given us that gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Now, if you'll just look right here, we're gonna enjoy a moment of taking communion. We do this fairly frequently in our church, once every month or so, once every two months. Our opportunity to take communion this morning is for those of you who have confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord, your Savior. It's a moment for us to remember the body that was broken, the blood that was shared on behalf of us. It's in this moment that we have the opportunity to remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us. So if you're not a believer this morning, we are so honored that you're here. I would just encourage you to be in a posture of prayer, posture of observation of what goes on in the next few moments together. You can just stay seated. But if you're a believer this morning, there are three tables, two down front, one in the top. And I believe the one in the top is gluten-free. Is that right, Dustin? That's perfect. We've thought of everything. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to sing a few more songs. You're going to enjoy communion. And you can come at your patience, your, 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 uh, your pace. And we're just going to sing a few songs together. Jesus, God, we remember the body and the blood. God who gave ultimate freedom and joy. That's why it's possible, because of what happened on the cross of Calvary. So now as we remember, may you give us a deep-seated joy in our heart and our soul. In Jesus' name, amen.